Well, let's dive in tonight. And um, some of what we're sharing in these last few weeks and tonight might could be considered tedious. I don't I don't think that it really is. I think more it's necessary because what we're after is full confidence in God's word. On Wednesday nights, we're talking about belief and we want to know what we believe and why we believe it and be able to articulate what we believe. And it's more important now than ever. And um, so we've got to be uh, up to snuff on that. So more than just saying, well, I believe the Bible. Um, we want to know why we believe the Bible. We want to see the credibility of the Bible, the authority of the Bible. So uh, we've been kind of looking at a whole chain of things that actually make the word of God something that we can put our full confidence in. And uh, so we're going to continue on that a little bit tonight. Should be very excited. I'm excited about it. And um, what we're after is that you would have full confidence in God's word. Let's read in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. It says, all scripture. Everybody say, all scripture. Say it again, all scripture. Say it one more time, all scripture. I'm trying to make a point. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. So if it's scripture, then it's inspired by God. Okay? So all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. It's useful for doctrine. And that's largely what we're talking about on Wednesday nights this year. For reproof, for correction. How many of you need correction sometimes? Okay, here they go. Here they are. Now they are. For correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, woman of God as well, may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And that's, that's, those are the things that Scripture will do for us. So at issue is the reliability of Scripture and the authority of Scripture. And so we're looking at a number of things we've, we've seen, and in this verse it bears it out. We looked a few weeks ago that the scripture is inspired by God. It's inspired by God. I don't have time to go back over all of that, but it's inspired by God. It came from God. It came from God's heart. God, it's God-breathed, and it's still living. It's inerrant. It's inerrant. It's without error. If you think there's an error, there's not an error. And we spent some time on how do you, how do you kind of separate all that. It's also infallible. It's infallible. It will not lead you astray. You can count upon it. Uh, we also saw that it is authority. And for my life, for our life, for the life of this church, it, the Bible is our authority. We base our life on Scripture. So all the more reason why we've got to know why, why am I going to stand, step out on that and trust the full weight of not just my life but my eternity and my family and their eternity. You've got to know that that is solid to be able to step out on that. And so it is. Here's why. It's because it's inspired. It's inerrant. It's infallible. And it is authority. In the next few weeks, we'll look at a couple of other things just fascinating and powerful with this. If it's not, if it's not, then I, I had a friend years ago that said, if it's not, then let's just go to the beach and play high lie. Let's just, let's just go do something else. If this is not true, if this is not strong, if I can, if I can't bank on this, if I can't count upon this, then I don't know what we're doing. You know, this, this place is the size of a super Walmart. I mean, we can sell it, you know, and, but I believe with all my heart and then we'll see a little bit later tonight, there are people willing to die, uh, for scripture. Um, incredible. The day that, that we're in, we're, we're in the comfy zone. 
And we feel a lot of pressure. We feel a lot of things. But if, if Scripture is not inspired, inerrant, infallible, and authoritative, then I can't trust its promises. Then I can't, um, I probably won't heed its commands and its warnings. Um, I won't really believe what it tells me about God and his character and his plan and his nature and his intent. And so it's very important that we get this settled all up front. As we, as we continue on with this, we're going to look at the great truths and doctrines of the Bible. But we've got to get this foundation really set underneath us so that we have full confidence in God's word. Amen. Now. Tonight, and some people say, oh, thank you that you're sharing stuff from school. I'm actually not. Um, we don't even want to go there right now. But uh, these are things that we just need to know about uh, doctrine, about systematic theology and so forth. And um, you know what? I'm, I just want to give props real quick. Uh, Martin Roberts is right there and his wife, Debbie. Martin, just wave at us real quick. Um, Martin's been with us about a year as a part of our, our body. And I just, I just wanted to give him props tonight because he's been so studious in things of God, learning and growing. And in the past year, it's going to make you all feel bad, he's written and published two books. And he just this week, uh, his second book came out, and it's on defending the Bible. You ready for the rest of the title? Against Christians. And he does a, a number of things, and, and you can get it on Amazon. He did not ask me to do this, okay? And so you, if you've written a book, don't hunt me down later and go, I, or I got some stuff on Pinterest, or, you know, you know, don't, don't, don't track me down later on that, okay? But um, I got a, you can get it hardback or Kindle edition, and I, got, um, I just bought the Kindle edition, looked over it, and I just want to applaud you. Great work for the kingdom of God. And so would you, would you, God bless you guys. God bless you. All right. Now, please don't come to me for commercials. Anybody? Cause he, cause he did not, he did not. But some of this tracks right along with, with, uh, where we're talking tonight. What I want to talk tonight about is we'll just use one word here. Canon. It's called canonicity. And it has to do with this is the canon. Okay, this is the canon. Not canon. But although it will do that. Okay. Um, it has to do with there's a standard that you have to pass. And we're talking about the books of the Bible being put together in what is called a canon. And they have passed certain standards or criteria. And then the Latin word has to do with measuring stick or rule. They've passed that, and then they're included in the collection, okay? So it'd almost be like um, Star Wars movies or something. How many of you know there's some crazy little side ventures that are not the real deal, okay? And so if you've got, you know, different names and different things, and the story's off just a little bit, but it's kind of like it, um, it's not, okay? And so there's a lot of things have circulated the whole time, uh, and we've ended up with this canon of 66 books, uh, and we want to look at why and how did these books look here. Now, this is a lengthy study. We're not going to do the whole length of this. I just want you to be able to have some conversational handles concerning this so that you'll know, you'll understand, and then you can do more work on on this on your own. Um, We believe... 
as as believers and as Meadowbrook Church, we believe that the canon of Holy Scripture is 66 books, and we believe that it is closed. It is not open in the sense that it's open, you know, there might be some more books coming next year. You see what I'm saying? It's closed. And uh, it's Old Testament and it's New Testament, and there's really not anything in between, and we'll talk about that in a moment. These books are in the Bible, we believe, because they were inspired by God. And so I made an emphasis on this earlier. All Scripture is inspired by God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So if it's Scripture, it has to be inspired by God. So the 66 books of our Bible, Holy Bible, the Scripture, um, is in there. Those books are in there because they're inspired by God. Now... Let's look at the Old Testament just just for a little bit here. We've got Old Testament, and we'll we'll get the rest here. How many of you know the other half? (laughs) Trying to keep the suspense. Uh, The 39 books of the Old Testament were written between the 15th century and the 5th century B.C. And so they were written in there. um, And then God stopped speaking. Through prophets. So you, if we had a timeline going on and we're in the Old Testament and about the 15th century, well, I can't write that way, I'm left-handed. And uh, about the 5th century, then it stopped and we've got beginning of the New Testament. And one way to kind of look at it is we've got B.C. So this is B.C. and then we're A.D. And so in the year of our Lord. So after the birth of Jesus and so forth. Anyway, there's about a 430-something year intertestamental silence. So you get up to the very end of God speaking through his prophets, and then there's silence. And God did not speak through prophets, and then we begin the New Testament. Okay? And we'll look at that a little bit further in just a moment. Um, By the time that Jesus came along and was ministering, the Jews had accepted the 39 books that we consider to be the Old Testament. They had fully accepted that. That's what they worshipped and read. And when they went to temple and tabernacle, that's what they used. Um, Part of the proof of that is when Jesus came along and Jesus ministered and Jesus quoted a lot uh, from the Old Testament. He referred to the Old Testament a lot. There was never any dispute. There, there was ne- never any discussion or debate over the books that Jesus spoke about. Okay? So that's very, very important. They agreed. Jesus and the Jews, which at this point technically are Old Testament Jews, they agree concerning those 39 books of, of the Old Testament. Now, the New Testament quotes... Uh, the Old Testament over 300 times. Okay, so I want you to kind of get this in your thinking. The Bible is a unity. Jesus said, and, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Remember on the road to Emmaus? He showed, he showed them Christ in the scriptures. He unlocked all the scripture. Jesus is all the way, all the way through. Y- y'all with me? It's not just Old Testament, click. New Testament, it all ties together in amazing, amazing ways. And and we'll look at that. It's just all over the place. Now, uh, 
The New Testament quotes the Old Testament over 300 times. And any quote in the New Testament, any quote in the New Testament actually would refer to one of the 39 Old Testament books. So it's real clear there, the acceptance of the Old Testament canon. Okay. The New Testament is actually 32% uh, quotation from the Old Testament, about a third of it. And then um, uh, either by quotation or what they call allusion. So it would allude to, it would refer to, you know, Abraham or this situation or that type of thing. So they're so intertwined. You've got to know that. And that helps to bring authority to both the Old Testament and the New Testament. You follow me so far? And like I said, this could be tedious. It's actually not. And if you gather it all, it's like, okay. And it's going to bring us, it'll bring us to a good point tonight and then forever. Then in, uh, between 1946 and 1956, in the West Bank, uh, a great discovery was made of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Incredible find. And there were 972 texts that were found. And about 500 of those are commentaries. So think about all this. And then there's almost complete uh, scrolls and texts of Isaiah and so forth. And so that just all the more uh, solidified what we believed and held about the Old Testament. So you got 972 finds. And then about 500 of that 972 are mostly just commentary. And guess what? They all, they all comment only one on what we agree is in the, in the canon. There's no obscure, any extra reference to this. It, it all refers back to that. Again, these books being accepted as canon. Then, in this, in this gap right here, there were some books written uh, by the Jews, religious Jews, And these books were written between the Testaments and they're referred to as Apocrypha, Apocrypha. And they were not written by prophets and they do not claim to be inspired. And so the Jews and Jesus and the New Testament never refer to them. Okay. The, the, the Jews, Old Testament Jews, no reference to these, and I'm talking about Jews in Jesus' day, no reference to them. Jesus never referred to these books. And the New Testament, looking back, never referenced, referenced uh, them. They pretty much were dis, uh, disregarded. You know, they were read, they were there, but they were kind of disregarded. And then in the 15th century, 15th century, so that's how many years? That's like 1,500 years uh, into uh, A.D., Then the church, and about this time, the Reformation's taking place. Okay, so Martin Luther, Reformation's taking place. The Catholic Church, and please do not hear me speak disparagingly of the Catholics. They brought such a level of reverence for the things of God and uh, discipline to a lot of things. But I do think there's some things that we don't agree on exactly. And one of the things was they, by decree of the church, not by the standards that we hold for the rest of the canon... And they did it in, uh, to refute the Reformation. They then brought in a lot of the apocryphal books and included them by decree of the church. They just decided, okay, this is going to be a part. So uh, a lot of the Catholic Church still uses 
those. We do not. And I have people ask me sometimes, do you ever use this? And I go, I don't even know what that is. You know? And I, and I, I do just by, by study. But we don't use those because they're not written by prophets. And there's some other criteria we'll look at. And they don't claim to be inspired. Jesus had no, uh, cared no value for them. New Testament Jews had no uh, value for them. The New Testament does not reference them. And they were added in by counsel and by people and just put in there. And so it's important that we kind of know that because from time to time, well, well, what about those? What about those? And that's, that's where they were. There's some awesome things that were written that, are, that uh, verify history and uh, some events and some things like that. But listen, they weren't inspired. They weren't written by uh, people that would, would be recognized as an authority to be able to write something that would be included in the canon. Are you still with me so far? Okay, let's move into New Testament here. New Testament, Jesus commissioned the apostles. And the apostles, if you'll go back and study the apostles, they were actually tagged before birth. You know, God had a plan long, long, long ago who he would use and how he would use them. You know, before they were even born, they were set apart. Paul makes a big deal about that as well. They were set apart for this. And so because Jesus commissioned the apostles, then if they write or speak, in in Acts it was referred to as the apostles' doctrine, uh, if they wrote or, or spoke, they were speaking on Christ's behalf and in his authority. They were with Jesus. They, they saw a resurrected Jesus. They walked with him. Can you, can, you, can you imagine? I mean, let yourself go a little bit. Can you just imagine being with the Son of God, the incarnate Son of God, and walking with him? And he authorized them and commissioned them to go and to do what they did. And so they carry authority, and that, the authority that they carry is actually his authority. Um, that is one of the main tests for our New Testament canon. Now, stay with me because we're still, still building a case here. That's one of the main tests for this. Then in 367 AD, there's an Egyptian Christian scholar, and I can't pronounce his name, but he decided to complete a list. And the list was already circulated. People generally agreed on this. And he completed a list and he said this would be the New Testament. And these 27 books then would be the New Testament. About 30 years later, a very important council assembled the Council of Carthage and they recognized the same list. And so from that point on, from about 367, 390 AD, then we had the canon uh, completed for the New Testament as far as somebody putting a stamp on it and saying, saying this, this is God-inspired word. Now... Think, think with me. About that same time, there was a great rise of heretics. How many of you know what a heretic is? I pray you never run into one. They're going to be speaking counter to truth and counter to God, and they tend to counterfeit, they tend to mislead, they tend to have uh, exaggerated claims, and they will, they will produce heresy, which will run opposite of truth. And if truth sets you free, then heresy is going to bind you up and mess you up. And heresy has more of a fast track to take you off the cliff and to take you in in wrong directions. There was a great rise of heretics and heresy. About the same time with what was going on in the world, the Roman Empire now, think about this. 
the Roman Empire is putting such pressure on Christianity that they're now demanding that their sacred books. Now understand, they did not have it all neatly put together like you and I have. Demanded that their sacred books be burned. So you've got this rise of heresy. You've got this imposing Roman Empire saying we want, we want demanding. We want your sacred books to be burned. So the Christians said, we're not afraid to die. I mean, we've been dying. I mean, since the beginning, the birth of the church, they, you know, that's a whole history in itself. And they said, we're not, not afraid to die. But if we're going to die for our scriptures, this is an important thing. If we're going to die for our scriptures, we want to make sure we, we're dying for the right books. So we want to we want to make sure we want to kind of pull this together and say, yes, we believe this is because there were books, the gospel of Thomas. OK, now Thomas was a disciple, but that book is not authoritative. And I'll, I'll give you the criteria here in just a few moments. There's plenty of examples like that. We don't want it. Hey, if we're going to die for scripture, for having scripture, we don't want to die for some dumb book. We want, I, I want to die for the real stuff because then we have the authority of that, that you take me out. I'm okay. Cause to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And if I die in the Lord, I'm blessed. I'm a, I'm a millisecond away from his glory. I'm not, I'm not stopped because I can see through this book. I can see, yes, it's a, a dark glass, but I can see on the other side of that, that I don't have to be afraid of those that kill the body. And so what a place they were in. What a bold place. And did you know that under persecution, the gospel, you know what happened to the gospel when it was being persecuted? It grew. It spread because I'm telling you what, once heat gets on you a little bit, do I believe this or do I not believe this? And it's so attached into eternity. This is the rope that will not break or fray and it goes on through the veil into eternity. Then you have the assurance of that if you fully believe it on this side where we, where we see and feel and go to the mall. Are you all with me? And so it's an important thing. So they, wa- they wanted to decide, okay, do we believe this book? And let me just ask y'all, do we believe this book? Yes. Well, then let's don't believe it just because grandma said and you're supposed to and we're going to shame you if you don't. There needs to be something on the inside of you that with all of who you are, this is the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God. It carries all authority for me. And I will step out on it and it will hold me up. I will believe its promises. I will trust it. I will heed its warnings. I'll believe what it tells me about my creator, my redeemer, God. Are are y'all with me tonight? And so they, they wanted to clarify that. And I'm so glad that they did. And here is some of the criteria that they used. Some, some scholars say they're like five or six in general. There were just four things that they would look at. And we'll just go over these briefly. We could spend a lot of time, but we're just going to hit these real quick. First of all, New Testament canon. Was it written by an apostle or was it written by someone with apostolic authority? And that is a very powerful thing because that carries the authority of Jesus. They spoke on his behalf. 
He commissioned them and sent them forth. It's called the apostolate. And they take that. uh, Jewish law would even say it's like the power of attorney. And so if they speak, they're speaking on his behalf. So what the apostles not only conveyed of the life, the death, the resurrection, the teachings of Jesus, but then what they went on to write under inspiration of the spirit as the apostles is that who wrote these books in the New Testament. That was the first, and that's the main one that gives it New Testament canon authority. Second thing is this. Does it agree with the rest of the canon of truth? Does it line up with the other books that they've accepted? You know, New Testament, Old Testament. That was part of the criteria as well. Because, you know, it would not make sense that you've got the rest of it talking about how big and good and strong God is, and then you've got some other book that talks about God as some kind of squirrely guy. You see what I'm saying? Or it counters, you know, we see something about the character of God or the history uh, found in Scripture. And then you got something with some other story. So it had to jive, so to speak, with that. So was it written by someone with apostolic authority? And then did it agree with the rest of the canon of truth? Thirdly, did it enjoy what they call universal acceptance? And that means that wherever the Scripture or, or these books had gone... Had they been received, was there a, a reception by people that they said, this, this is from God? Was, or was it refuted and was it rejected in places? And so they looked on a broad scale that as, as these books, these scrolls and so forth traveled around, were they accepted? And that was the third criteria. And then the fourth one, and this one's a little more subjective. Is it Dynamic. Is there some kind of life-changing power when you read it and when you hear it read? Does it impact us some way? Because you know what? You can, a lot of people can write a lot of things, but did it somehow move us in a transforming way? Did we sense somehow? Did it, did it move people when they heard it? Was there something that, because what we also believe about it is it's God-breathed. And it's living and it's active and it's powerful. It's not a dead book. And so is it dynamic? Does it have this self-authenticating divine nature that seems to be in the book? And so all of that, and that's just a brief on that. Those, that was the criteria for this. Now, let's kind of wrap this for tonight. And then God's revelation is complete in Jesus. And in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. Y'all with me so far? Does that make sense with what we've talked about tonight? Has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. The heir of all things, last days, also made the worlds. Jesus, the first, the last, the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. God in times past spoke through the prophets and has brought it all the way now. And in these last days, and it's important, it's not just talking about last days. It's talking about the end of this. He's spoken to us through his son. And then anybody that his son commissioned and gave authority to the apostles, God would be speaking through them as well. And then God determined, let me go back to this. 
We believe, and I mentioned this word earlier, we believe in a chain. We believe in a chain of inspiration, uh, dissemination, recognition, preservation, illumination. And we believe that God was involved in every, every bit of that. The whole process, the whole project, if you will, God was, God was involved in this. Listen to this. God determined the canon. God determined the canon and the church discovered the canon. It's important that you see it. Do you you hear what I'm saying? God determined the canon. He wrote, he inspired, he preserved, he distributed, he got it through, he put it together. God determined the canon. The church didn't. The church discovered it. He let us discover it. Scripture is inspired. Scripture is authoritative from the beginning. And it still is now. In Psalm 119 verse 89, it says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. We believe that God gave and preserved his word. And then he led his people to discover it and to recognize it. That's an important statement. Do y'all get that? We believe that God gave and preserved his word. There's been no other book, no other book even close that they've tried to shut down more than the Bible. And we talked about it two weeks ago. There's more Bibles than anything. And for it to have survived and been preserved, God not only started it, he gave it, he preserved it. And then he led his people to recognize it. And we can be confident, and this is where we're after tonight. This is where we want to land tonight. We can be confident that our Bible is what God wrote and inspired. I want you to be confident that when you pick up your Bible in the morning, I'm not just reading some religious book. God gave this. God inspired this. God preserved this. God, through a chain of things, got this to us. And these 66 books of this Bible, God inspired these. And God saw me and God saw you way down the pike and said, I want to get my word to you. And God wants to get his word to everybody. But it's important for us who've already stepped across the line and said, we believe. But you know what? I want want that we believe. To have meat and rock. I mean, I I want it to have all substance that it can. That you can step out on this in full confidence. This is God's inspired word. Verbal and plenary. Every word, the entire thing. Inspired, inerrant, infallible, authoritative. God got it to me. There's no waste in here. There's no extra little book in here. There's no coloring sheets. I maybe wish there were sometimes, especially in Leviticus. We can be confident that our Bible is what God wrote. Here's our response then. Learn it. Love it. Read it. Don't just read it. Let it speak to you. Trust it. Let its truth form and transform your mind and your character. And obey it, applying its principles in life, and do it with full confidence, knowing 
that God watches over his word to perform it in your lives. Amen? Did you get anything at all out of that tonight?